Good morning and happy Easter City Bible Church. This morning we're going to focus on the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Outside of the creation of the universe and the creation of human beings, there is no more significant event in human history than the resurrection of Jesus. It is more impactful than the pandemic. Belief in the resurrection of Jesus Christ will save more people than the vaccines. And the Bible teaches that believing in the resurrection of Jesus is the cure for the virus of sin and is the escape from the death sentence of hell. And so this morning, we're going to focus specifically on how the church has declared the resurrection of Jesus Christ in the 20th century, as well as now into the 21st century. There is a sense that the message of Jesus Christ is unchanging in terms of its historical fact and its doctrinal truth. And there's a sense that the church has been declaring the same message of the resurrection of Jesus Christ for over 2,000 years now. But the church also has to address different questions about the resurrection that are being posed to it at different times and at different places. And we have done that. In the 20th century, the primary question that the church addressed was, did Jesus rise from the dead? Did the resurrection of Jesus Christ, in fact, happen? And many people were convinced and still are convinced of the historical fact of Jesus's resurrection. And that led many people to faith and many people did not believe that and have not come to faith as well. But we have rightly said in establishing the historical fact of the resurrection, the biblical truth of the resurrection, we have said the following. Number one, there were eyewitnesses to his resurrected, his bodily resurrection. First uh, Corinthians chapter 15 says that he appeared to over 500 people in his resurrected state. And 1 Corinthians was written a little over uh, 20 years after Jesus's resurrection and then his ascension. And so there would have been people alive when Paul wrote 1 Corinthians saying that there were 500 witnesses. If it was not true, that would have been discredited. And yet it was true. And so number one, there were eyewitnesses to testify that Jesus rose from the dead. And the church has argued that. Number two, we have said that the scriptures themselves testify that Jesus rose from the dead. All four gospels say that Jesus rose. And every writer of the New Testament, with the exception of the Apostle James, who still believed it but did not address it specifically in his epistle, all testify to a resurrected Jesus Christ in Scripture. Number three, not only have we said there's eyewitnesses that Scripture testifies, but there have been non-biblical sources that have testified to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The Jewish historian Josephus, who worked for the Roman government, testified that Jesus rose from the dead many years later when he wrote about that. Number four, we the church has argued logic to prove that Jesus did indeed rise from the dead. Uh, the disciples were martyred in their belief that Jesus was resurrected. And it's been pointed out logically that men will die for a lie that they believe to be the truth. And men will die for the truth that is in fact the truth. But men will not die for what they know is a lie 
and they will not die for that. And yet these men uh, would not have all died, and women have died, if they knew that the resurrection of Jesus was a lie, as the Romans had had said. Uh, But they knew it was the truth, and therefore they were willing to die for it. And that is a powerful, logical argument for the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And number five, um, the church has given personal testimony to the fact that Jesus has risen from the dead. People have said, Jesus has changed my own life. Jesus has helped me to overcome this, fill in the blank. Ever since I gave my life to Jesus, I have joy, I have peace, I have righteousness, I have a sense of purpose, I know that I know God. And people's personal testimony is a powerful witness because the gospel if anything else, should change people at a personal level in their spirit. And so in the 20th century, these were the primary uh, messages and arguments and questions that the church addressed. Did Jesus, in fact, rise from the dead? And if we could prove that Jesus had risen from the dead, the assumption is that people uh, would have to believe. And we have rightly argued that that is the truth, and we will continue to um, to say that as the church, God has used that in the past to lead people to Christ and to strengthen the faith of the believing church. And that is a very good thing. In the 21st century, as we continue to declare that message, we have, we are also seeing a different reaction to the message of the truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ on at least two levels. Number one, We see people today, large groups of people, who say, I can believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, or at least allow for the possibility that that happened, but it doesn't change my life. And there's a separation between belief in the resurrection and living a life that is surrendered to a resurrected Jesus in our own lives. And secondly, uh, we are seeing... Uh, resurrection alternatives that people are pursuing uh, to get out of the the dead life that they have, both physically or, or literally um, or spiritually, and to pursue an alternative to the resurrected Jesus through uh, different means of the ways of the world. And so let's make a few comments on both of those. Number one, we are seeing people separate belief in the resurrection from life in a resurrected Jesus. And people say, I believe it's possible, or I believe in Jesus rising again, but I'm not changed. That's good for Jesus, but it's irrelevant for me. And we're not living in a binary world on this issue. A binary world, an either-or world, would be if we can convince people that Jesus rose from the dead, then they will believe, or they will simply choose not to believe that he rose from the dead, and so they won't believe. And that's kind of an either-or world. What we are seeing today is this gray space of people who can believe but not have um, the commitment to Jesus living through their life. And John, uh, Jesus said in John chapter 11, I am the resurrection and the life. Even if you die, you will live. Do we believe in this? He said, I am the resurrection and the life. If we believe, we will live. See, Jesus did not separate a belief in the resurrection with life in the resurrection. We separate belief 
in the resurrection, from life in the resurrection. But Jesus did not. And we find people today who can believe in their head that Jesus rose from the dead or could have, but are literally unchanged in their heart because the resurrected Jesus is not living in their spirit. Number two, we are also seeing in the 21st century a redirection, a redefining of the idea of resurrection through Jesus Christ or resurrection alternatives. I'll give three examples. There's a psychologist, a well-known psychologist named Jordan Peterson. He's written some best-selling books. He's become very popular on YouTube over the past couple of years. And he was asked by a theologian what he thought about Jesus, essentially what he thought about the resurrection uh, during Easter time. And this was his response. He said, quote, The claim is so overwhelming and also mysterious that I don't know what to make of it. I don't know what to make of the idea of the physical resurrection. I don't know what it means metaphysically. I know what it means symbolically. That is usually the approach I take, given that I am a psychologist. I do believe that the part of the human being that leads up to the redemption is the part of us that dies when it is in error and is reborn as something better and new. But I also don't know what it would mean to live that way fully. If you were awake to your errors and fully taking advantage of every opportunity that's put before you, fully devoted to the good, the highest good that you could conceptualize, I have no idea what the limit of transformation would be for a human being because we are very mysterious creatures in a very mysterious world. Peterson uh, is defining the resurrection simply as leaving behind the bad that is in you, and trying to find the good that is in you or that can come to you in just a general way. And that's his way of seeing the resurrection, that Jesus' resurrection um, is more symbolic of the resurrection that is needed for all of us in our character. Uh, a second example, uh, just from yesterday, I was uh, watching uh, on my YouTube feed came um, a video, actually this is on my Facebook feed, a video of a woman who uh, has gotten a divorce. It was nasty. It was terrible. And uh, there's a kind of a cathartic experience she's having of cleaning the gravestones at a, um, at, at a cemetery. I think she does this voluntarily, it sounds like. And she talks about this in a video called Meet Woman Making Dead People Go is the name of the video. And she says this, quote, I was in a really nasty custody battle so bad that my, like my own family was against me. A lot of lies, accusations, ugly, ugly stuff. I needed a place that I could feel safe. My name's Alicia Williams from Bedford, Virginia, and I beautify gravestones. I clean one or two markers a day. Some of them clean up instantly, beautifully. You never have to come back again. Others might take up to a year to get its fullest potential. I'm out here seven days a week. I approach it as gently as possible. Even the dirtiest thing can look new again. I felt so damaged through my divorce and the pure ugliness that was our battle over our children. 150 years of grind can be bright and new and treasured, and I can be the same way. It's been the best therapy. Here's a woman that is uh, searching for her own personal resurrection by cleaning the filth off inanimate dead objects, these gravestones, and she feels it's a cathartic experience to uh, find uh, cleansing for the own deadness in her soul. 
and she's seeking her own resurrection through that. Third example, I saw this um, come up uh, randomly on uh, my YouTube. It's a woman named Krista Kim, and uh, she made an NFT, non-fungible token. It's a new kind of art form in the digital space um, and on the blockchain. And she, she made a digital representation of a house uh, in cyberspace. She sold this. It's not a real house. It's a digital house. that, And someone bought it for half a million dollars that they can now use in cyberspace and walk around with, uh, presumably through their avatar. And um, she calls the house Mars House. And she says this, For me, I actually foresee that we will be living in an augmented reality lifestyle within a very short period of time, a couple of years. We're all going to be de- decorating our environments and our personal space, our fashion, just like tattoos. People express themselves like tattoos. It's an art form. Well, people are also going to express themselves with digital assets and decorative pieces and collectibles, fashion and accessories. This is a woman who is creating this resurrection space in cyberspace where through your avatar, you can go live in a new space. Through um, your new identity, you can be a new person, essentially. That's a form of 21st century resurrection that you create, not in the real world, but in the digital space. And this is the conversation on resurrection here in the 21st century. How do we speak into this culture as a church? As we argue and convince people that Jesus, in fact, did rise from the dead. Uh, I believe we also need to be helping people to show that um, a resurrected Jesus is living inside of those who believe, or we need to show that those who do believe, um, they are not having the resurrected Jesus if they don't see any evidence of his presence in their lives. And I think that is going to be a huge conversation for the church going forward, is to be able to interpret what does it look like to have a resurrected Jesus living in you and living through you, um, and not just that you believe in his physical and uh, resurrection. And so today we're going to look at three ways to know that Jesus is living in you and through you. These are not ways to get Jesus to live in you and through you. They are evidences that he already lives inside of you. And so um, you want to be asking yourself, do I see these evidences in my life as we go through this? Our passage this morning that we're going to focus on is John chapter 6, verse 66 through 69. John chapter 6, verse 66 through 69. And... Um, John says this. After this, many of his, that's Jesus' disciples, turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter asked him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. This is the word of the Lord. What was happening in this context of this passage is that Jesus had been ministering in Jerusalem, Samaria, and Galilee. And he had been saying many difficult, hard things to people. Um, he never watered down the truth. He said to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, you must be born again. 
Jesus said to the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4, I am a spring of living water that will give people eternal life. Jesus said to the crowds in John chapter 6 earlier on that I, Jesus, I am the bread of life. He said again to the crowds that earlier on in our passage, before our passage in John 6 again, whoever eats my flesh, metaphorically, and drinks my blood, metaphorically, um, but true spiritually, abides in me and I in him and you will live. He said, I will raise you up on the last day. And so it's within that context of him saying all these truths and ministering to people that our passage comes in. And in verse 66, it says, many turned back and no longer walked with him. You see, he had done this huge miracle by feeding 5,000 men and presumably women and children too, uh, with five barley loaves and two fish. And there were crowds around him coming to him that wanted him to feed them again, to do miracles for um, them. And when he shared with them the truths of the kingdom, they left him uh, because the demands of following him and these truths uh, were not something that they wanted to believe. See, they wanted Jesus's blessing, but they didn't want him. And they wanted his miracles. They wanted him to feed them. But when it came to his truths, they were offended. When he said, I am the son of man, they were offended. When he said, um, God's work is to believe in him, they were offended. When he said that he has come down from heaven, they were offended. When he said that his words are spirit and life, they were offended. And in verse 66, many of them turned back and no longer walked with them. That was his disciples, not the 12, but other uh, fake disciples that were revealed here. And today, I think um, people are in danger of wanting Jesus's blessing but not wanting him. They're wanting the idea of some kind of resurrection, but not necessarily wanting the resurrected Jesus living in them and the resurrected Jesus living through them and them following that resurrected Jesus. Uh, I just uh, read a blog post yesterday. Uh, there was an NPR story of a, a famous a musician. I think he's in his 70s. I'd never heard of him before. Uh, but he's putting out a new album. Uh, I think it's a country album of duets with famous country stars. And uh, this man grew up in the church, but he's left the church, and he's uh, living a sexually deviant lifestyle now. Uh, but he was saying, oh, I enjoyed the music, the hymns of the church, and so we're doing this, singing these hymns with these country stars. We're going to put it out. It's going to bless people because I love it. And here's a man who he, he loves the blessing of the music of the church, but he doesn't want the Jesus that is at the center of the church. He likes the idea of, of feeling like he's alive through some kind of resurrection through his music, but he doesn't like the idea of the actual hard truths and life of a resurrected Jesus and what it would mean to follow him. And, um, and I think that's where many people in our culture might be today and walking away from Jesus and the reason for that. Let's go to three evidences of how you can know that there's a resurrected Jesus living inside of you during this Easter time. Evidence number one from our passage. We are drawn to Jesus' words as a source, as the source of eternal life. We are drawn to the words of Jesus, the words of Scripture, 
as the source of eternal life. Not that we read it and we have eternal life, but when we have Jesus in our life, we are drawn to his words because he is drawing us to his words and he's drawing us to the words of God in God's word. Verse 67, Jesus said, when he asked uh, the disciples, do you want to go away as well? Verse 68 from our passage, Simon Peter said, Lord, you have the words of eternal life. And Simon Peter did not say, uh, we appreciate your words, Jesus. He did not say, we aspire to live up to your words, Jesus. And the reason why he said that is because even an unbeliever, can appreciate Jesus' words. Even an unbeliever can try and aspire up to the morality of Jesus' words. Now, Simon Peter said in verse 68, you have the words of eternal life. Peter and the other disciples recognize that Jesus was the source of eternal life, and his words were truth. His words were life. And I think that when we look at the pages of Scripture, Scripture talks about itself as something that gives us spiritual life. Scripture equips us for works of righteousness. Second Timothy chapter three. Scripture, um, uh, the Holy Spirit working through Scripture helps to recognize the motivations and the intentions of our hearts. It says in Hebrews chapter four, um, Scripture has a sanctifying, changing influence on our lives. John chapter seventeen. And so we are drawn to God's word because it is doing this good work in us. It's giving us depth of insight into what our heart is like, and it's changing us uh, to become more like Jesus. And um, I think we are drawn to that because we see that it gives us life. We are drawn to these words in God's word. Uh, we are drawn to the words of Jesus because it assures us of his eternal life. And this is evidence number one of what you want to ask yourself. Am I drawn to scripture? Do I believe it's true? Uh, Do I find life in it? Do I see the way to eternal life in it? And if you do, that's an evidence that a resurrected Jesus Christ um, is living in you. As Peter said, uh, you have the words of eternal life. Uh, Hopefully we can say that as well. Evidence number two of how we can know that there's a resurrected Jesus living inside of us today is not only that we are drawn to his words as the source of eternal life, but we are drawn to the body of Christ. We are drawn to others who have uh, the spirit of Jesus living inside of them. In verse 67, Jesus, it says, Jesus said to the 12, that's the 12 disciples, they were in community as essentially the church with one another as they were following Jesus. Verse 68, Simon Peter said, whom will we go to, Jesus? We have believed you. He used the plural we. Whenever you follow Jesus, he brings you into community with other believers. And that is called the church. Um, Jesus lives in individuals, but he also lives corporately in the church. Uh, the Bible says that in the church, we can pray for one another. We encourage one another. We instruct one another. We help one another. We bear one another's sinful burdens. We correct one another. And the more you're a part of a church, 
where resurrected Jesus is alive, the more you come to spiritual life. The more you feel your spiritual life being strengthened, being built up in the faith when you're at a church where the resurrected Jesus is truly alive. And I look around at our church and I see our church, um, a living Jesus working through the lives of the people to bless other people. The women's ministry is ministering to many women who are struggling um, just in, in their life and in their faith. Um, they're ministering to women who are seeking wisdom for decisions that they're making, important decisions they're making in their life, and they're building them up um, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Another thing that is happening in our church is uh, we see people taking um, their questions, their doubt, their struggles, their failures, and um, offering it up to God in creative testimony and God redeeming the rubble of their lives uh, for the glory of God and the building up of the church and the outreaching to unbelievers, as we saw last night at our second day creative testimony night. Um, another thing we are seeing in our churches, we are seeing believers being warned of, um, of sin in their own life. God is using the church to warn other people. Sometimes one of the best ways you can see how ugly your sin is, is when you see your sin played out in the life of another person, and they're doing the same sin that you are guilty of, and you get to see it from the outside. And some people are seeing that in our church, and they're going, wow, is that what I look like? Is that what you're seeing in my life, what I'm seeing in this other person's life? And uh, some people are looking at other people in the church and saying, you know, I can see the wreckage of your life, and I want to help you, uh, but it's reminding me, you know, of the devastating effects of long-term sin in a person's life and long-term unbelief. And so uh, God is working through our church This is a second evidence of how you can know that there's a resurrected Jesus living in you and through you, is if you find yourself being drawn to God's people. Because if you have Jesus living in you, you will be drawn to be in community with God's people because um, God knows that we are the body of Christ. We are the physical representation of Jesus Christ here on this earth. And um, Jesus never intended to be a head without a body here on earth. And you are the body of Christ, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12. And uh, when one part celebrates, we all celebrate. When one part mourns, we all mourn. And we want to help serve and love one another. And you can't do that if you're not in community with God's people. And that's a sign, that's an evidence that Jesus truly lives in you. Are you drawn to the body of Christ? And finally for today, um, evidence number three is that we are drawn to his holiness. We are drawn to the holiness of Jesus Christ. Holiness means to be set apart. We are set apart from the ways of evil in the world to devote ourselves to God and his ways. Uh, verse 69, uh, Simon Peter says, We have believed and come to know that you, Jesus, are the Holy One of God, that you are the Holy One of God. Um, the disciples were drawn to Jesus because they knew that Jesus was holy, that he was God, and that he was separated from them. Um, and it is through that experience and that relationship that they knew the following. They knew, number one, that they were not holy. 
they might have said before they met Jesus, well, I'm holier than you as I compare myself to you, you know. But when they start comparing themselves to Jesus, they realize very quickly they're not that holy. And so they needed Jesus's holiness. Number two, they realized that Rome was not holy. Rome was an unholy pagan empire, though it was um, an occupying force in Israel's life. And uh, uh, they knew that, that uh, Jesus's holiness was much greater than anything Rome or the Roman gods could offer them. They also realized, number three, that um, the religious leaders around them, the Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees, um, were not holy people. They probably suspected that before Jesus, but certainly when Jesus started pointing that out, they realized that very quickly, that the religious leaders were hypocrites, they were judgmental, um, they didn't know the true meaning of the scriptures, they put weights and burdens on people's uh, backs that they couldn't uh, handle through empty religious ritual, they were greedy for money, and so, and they're very prideful. These were the religious leaders that were leading Israel, and they were unholy, and fourth, the disciples were aware that God is holy and that God saw his people without God as unholy. They would have realized that because the scripture says, uh, it gives them all of these commands about what holy behavior is in the law, in the Torah, and they would know that God's people often had not in the past and currently were not obeying that. Um, God had established an entire sacrificial system to a to make sacrifices to kind of um, uh, atone for their sins in a way that would never bring full atonement, but there was a sacrificial system for their own unholiness. And they would have known about the ministry of John the Baptist, who saw people come to him in the wilderness and repent of their sins, of their unholiness, before Jesus came, as John was a herald of Jesus. And I think for us today, um, we know that we're unholy as well. Uh, we can see that in our own lives, if we're honest. Um, we're not righteous on our own. And we can certainly see that in society when we look at the lies in our world, when we look at the violence in our world, when we look at the oppression in our world, and then we look at our own heart. I mean, the world is just a collection of unholy people playing that out on a mass scale. And the what we see is people trying to establish their own version of holiness outside of the Holy One of God outside of Jesus Christ, where um, you see social justice movements that are um, trying to establish racial harmony or economic, eliminate economic disparity, um, and just to kind of do that out of the goodness, uh, supposed goodness of the human heart, um, that is an attempt to establish holiness and righteousness outside of God. When you hear talk about um, all of the importance where people feel dirty and they feel toxic and they feel ugly on the inside. And um, we hear talk of how you can detoxify your body and detoxify your mind, detoxify your soul through all the uh, different elements of the wellness movement and, and replace the badness, the unholiness in you with the holiness of achieving your maximum human potential. That is a form, it is a belief system that the world has set up to establish a kind of holiness outside of the Holy One of Israel. There are some practical benefits to that, but not spiritual and lasting ones in the end. And so uh, when you have a resurrected Jesus truly living inside of you, the evidence that that is happening and that is real 
is that you are drawn to his holiness. And the way that looks is you start confessing your sins to the Lord. First John chapter one, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us of our sins and all unrighteousness. So we start confessing our sins to the Lord. We, he starts cleansing our spirit through the power of the Holy Spirit living inside of us of a guilty conscience because as now covered by the blood of Christ and his resurrection spirit inside of us. And we find ourselves wanting to follow Jesus in holiness. We find the Holy Spirit producing the fruit of the spirit, says in Galatians chapter 5, of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, self-control, gentleness, etc., uh, and, and that's a holy work of the Spirit that we start to see this fruit of the Spirit coming out in our lives. And that's a beautiful thing. And we start to see our lives turning to become more holy like Jesus as we follow him. And that's a very, very good thing. And so uh, this Easter morning, as, as we're here, um, let's believe in the historical fact and in the biblical truth in the current reality of a resurrected Jesus who lives, um, who is the same yesterday, today, and evermore. And he is alive. And let's believe that he rose from the dead. And let's also examine ourselves to ask, um, do I see these evidences, these core evidences in my life that he is in fact living in my life? Because if he is resurrected and living in and through me, then he will draw me to the truth of the scriptures that are, that are alive with his words and the inspired words of God. If he is living in and through me, he will draw me to his people because that is where his spirit lives. The same Jesus that lives in me lives in my brother and sister in Christ. And so he would want us to be together. And am I seeing evidence of nobody's perfect, we all stumble at times, but a, a sense of a pursuit of the holiness of God, the holiness of Jesus, his life living through my life to create that? Um, or am I just uh, uh, kind of stuck and not even caring about any of those things? And I think if you're a professing believer and you do see these evidences, then you want to have great assurance in your life this morning. You want to praise God for um, the resurrection he has given to you through Jesus Christ. If you, are, you think you're a believer and you're really not sure, uh, you want to ask yourself, do I see some of these evidences? And if you don't, you want to recommit your life to Jesus Christ here this morning. And we're going to lead you in prayer if you'd like to do that as well in a few moments. If you're here today and you're an unbeliever and you actually might or do believe that Jesus rose from the dead 2,000 years ago, but you don't see these evidences, uh, what, you, what has happened in your life is you have a belief in the resurrection, but you don't have the life of the resurrection Jesus living in you and through you. And that's what you want. That's what you want for your life because that is where forgiveness is found, is where spiritual cleansing is found, is where spiritual life is found. It is where the escape from God's judgment is found, and um, it is where God is found. And so I'm going to close by leading us in a prayer, 
And wherever you're at in that, let's, let's pray together and let's come to the Lord. Father, for those of us who do believe and we do see you working in our lives, thank you, Lord. Uh, thank you for um, the good work that your presence is doing in our lives. And we, um, we follow you and we celebrate the life of Jesus in us to give us life. For those of us who are not sure, Lord, I pray you give us wisdom and discernment to know uh, whether we've been caught in the middle and to know that at this very moment, we can recommit our lives to you. At this very moment, we can um, choose to obey you, Lord, and we can receive forgiveness from you and we can recommit our lives to you as Lord and Savior and uh, you will receive us back. And for those of us, Lord, who have never professed our faith in you, um, may we uh, be be warned this morning. May we uh, be in fear this morning, Lord, of the judgment that is to come, that Jesus' death um, is not real in our lives, and we will die that eternal death uh, if we don't come to you, and his life is not real in our lives, and, and we need to come to that. This morning, Lord, and we need to remember the words of the Apostle Paul who said in Romans chapter 10, if anyone confesses Jesus as Lord and believes in their heart that Jesus rose from the dead, they will be saved. And I pray, Lord, that anyone who is not a believer who's listening to this, that they may know that um, they are here listening to this for a reason and they may commit their lives to you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, God bless you guys. Have a blessed Easter and thanks for joining us here at City Bible Church. God bless you.